Let's just pray. Lord, this morning, we just lift you up, God. We declare that there's no other name but the name of Jesus in this place. Lord, we thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you love us. Lord, that you care about us. God, that you have plans for good in our life. And Lord, this morning, we say we want nothing more than you. So Lord, come speak to us. God, come and open our hearts to you and to your word. God, help us see you more today. Lord, show us who we are today and show us how to to be better followers of you. Jesus, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Look at somebody, tell them they look good this morning. Amen. Well, God is good, amen? He is good, and I'm excited to be here today. It's good to see so many smiling faces on Sunday morning. Worship was amazing, right? God is good, and He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy of our worship and our time with Him. Uh, Well, my name is Travis. I am the student pastor here at Church on the Rock, and I'm pumped up about being here and speaking with you for a few moments. Uh, Pastor Linnell and I, we're really excited about tag team, so just listen to the Lord and let Him speak to you here this morning. As Pastor Mike said, Pastor John is preaching right now in Mississippi, so we want to remember uh, just to, you know, pray for him that God would just uh, do great things in the church that he's preaching at. You know, I know all week he's probably been on the tractor and all that, but we're, we're going to just believe for uh, just a, a joyous, restful time and also for safety as he comes home. So y'all pray that. Amen. Today we're going to continue a series that he started two weeks ago entitled Turnaround Leaders for Troubled Times. How many people know that as a culture today, there's some troubled times that we're in? As a culture that we're in today, the society that we live in, we need some leaders, and we need some turnaround leaders, and we need some people that are going to stand up, right? We don't just need leaders that are political leaders or business leaders. We don't just need Republican or Democratic leaders. We need some godly Christian leaders, and we need some godly Christian leadership, right? Our culture needs people of God that will know God, that will spend time with God, that will live for Him, and that will fight for the things of God, that will fight for purity, that will fight for holiness, that will fight for biblical principles and standards. We need some people that will not just talk about it, but will live it out, right? If you look at our society today, our culture, I believe, is headed in the wrong direction. And I'm not just talking about fiscal policy or foreign policy or economic policy, but spiritually, we are headed in the wrong direction. We are. We're headed in the wrong direction. It seems like every single day our culture and our country is running away from the things of God and we're embracing more secularism. We're embracing more uh, of things away from God and the principles and the standards of the Bible. Things that are considered normal and acceptable and even mainstream today were considered abnormal and definitely not mainstream just a few decades ago. You can turn on your television, you can listen to radio or the news, and you see all this crazy stuff going on in our culture. Violence, the movies that are shown, cussing, language, divorce rates, even in the church, the push for gay marriage, and all these things that are going on. We're going away from the principles of God. And not only we are running away from the principles of God, but we're trying to kick Jesus and God out of our government, out of our school systems, off our monetary systems, out of the pledge. I'm telling you, it's time that Christians rise up. Amen? We see people all around us that we care about that are falling away. We see people all around us that are hurt and deceived by the world. We see the enemy basically just having his way right now in our culture, and it's time for Christians to stand up. I believe that our culture and our country, we're in desperate need of Jesus. 
and some people that are going to carry him to work, to school, with their friends, wherever, to their family. What we need is some turnaround leaders. We need some people that will live their life. Whatever venue of life you live in, God has called you to be a turnaround leader. He's called you to be a follower. He's called you to be a Christian, right? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to look at a very familiar story and a very familiar character in the Bible. If you remember the first week, Pastor John talked about Gideon, one of the judges. He talked about how Gideon, even though he was the least of his tribe, and even though he didn't think he could do anything, God used him to do amazing things. He used him to defeat the Midianites and bring restoration to Israel. Last week he talked about Samson, how Samson was this great man of God. He had all this strength. He did these great exploits for God, but he fell into temptation. He fell into sin, and God ended up, by the end of his life, restoring him, and he did great things for God. And this morning we're going to look at David in the Bible, King David, the Old Testament. And there's three particular things that I believe God wants to show us and that we need to be effective leaders in our life, to be turnaround leaders. And I also believe that these three things are going to help propel us in our relationship with God. Amen? I'm reading from the ESV. You can read with me or turn your iPhones on, whatever you got. All right? Here we go. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azka in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and the Israelites stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath. Say Goliath. Verse 8, he says, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and you shall serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Last verse, verse 16. It says, For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand every morning and evening. Say morning and evening. Let's stop right here. The first thing that we all need to do and to be, to be turnaround leaders and to do something great for God. How many people want to do something great for God in your life? Right now, not tomorrow, not when you graduate, not when you retire, but right now. We want to do something great for God. And the first thing that we need is we need to be able to see a little bit deeper than the culture. How many people know that we need to see a little bit different than the unsaved world? We need to see a little bit different than what's on television. We need to see a little bit different than what we read in a magazine. We need to see a little bit different from the perspective that the culture has. We need to see a little bit deeper. As followers of Christ, we need to be able to see what God is doing in the earth. We need to have spiritual eyes instead of just physical eyes. Amen? Where we pick up in this story, this is the account of David and Goliath. It's probably the most familiar story in the Old Testament, if not the whole Bible. But we have Israel and we have the Philistines at a standstill. And this giant named Goliath, I guess he got tired of just fighting and he wanted to just get the whole thing over with. So he comes out and he challenges Israel and he says, pick somebody. Let's fight. Okay? Tired of doing this whole battle thing. If you win, your whole nation wins. If I win, we defeat y'all. You're going to become our servants. So he challenges them. There's a problem. This dude is big, all right? He's a giant. The Bible says he's over nine feet tall. He's a man of war. The Bible says that his spearhead weighed over 30 pounds. 
I don't know if you can curl 30 pounds, but that's a lot of weight, all right? He's a big dude. And Israel is afraid. I would have been afraid too. I'm sure this dude had like tats, and I'm sure he was like all grimace, and I'm sure he hadn't brushed his teeth in a while, you know? I'm sure he's like scary looking, and all of Israel, they're afraid, they're shaking, nobody wants to fight. I have a few questions for you. How many days was this Philistine giant challenging Israel? 40 days, right? Second question is, what time is he coming out to challenge them? He's coming out two times a day, in the morning and in the evening. Now, if you know Jewish customs, the third question is this. What is symbolic about the morning and the evening time? It's a time of sacrifice. It's a time of prayer. It's a time of worship. So this enemy is coming out every morning and every uh, evening for 40 days in a time where they should be spending time with their God, worshiping and praying to God. And without realizing this, the Israelites, they've been distracted by Goliath for 40 days. 40 days they've been afraid, they've been trembling. The Bible even says, I skipped over it, they would run away when Goliath would come up there to challenge them. A whole army. So this enemy is distracting them from spending time with God. Do you think it's coincidence that he's coming at these particular times? It's not at all. The enemy has a purpose. The enemy has a purpose. He wants to distract us. He wants to mess our life up. That's his purpose. He comes at key moments. They should be praying and worshiping. He's distracting them. The enemy is purposely there to hinder their relationship with God. Because if he can get them to quit praying and worshiping, he's got them. For 40 days, they haven't done anything. Haven't done anything. If you don't have a relationship with God, I'll just kind of be blunt. You're not going to do anything great for God. If you, don't do, if you don't have a relationship with Him, if you don't know Him in the quiet place, you're not going to do anything great for God. The secret is the quiet place. The secret is the secret place. That's what it is. See, the Israelites, they're not seeing things very deep at all. All they're seeing is this big giant, this big obstacle, and they run away. For 40 days, that's all they can see. But you know who shows up on the scene? David. If David doesn't show up in the scene, they're probably still there. They're just standing there. Okay, he shows up on the scene and he gets mad. Now, David, as we know the story, we know this story. He's not even old enough to fight in the army. His dad says, here's some food. Go find out what's going on. You know why he wants to know what's going on? Because there's not anything going on. They're not fighting. So he's like, go find out. So he shows up on the scene and he sees this big giant come out there on the 40th day. And he's taunting Israel. He's taunting God. And nobody is doing anything about it. He's mad because this is his God. Every time the giant comes out there, they're running away. What are soldiers supposed to do? Fight. What's a king supposed to do? Lead. There's no fighting and there's no leading going on for 40 days. And I believe what our culture needs desperately is some leaders and some fighters. Some leaders at your school. Some leaders at your workplace. Some leaders in your family. Some fighters, right? That's what God is looking for in the earth. He's looking for some people not to be superstars, but just to say, God, here I am. That's all he wants. So David shows up and he's mad because nothing has happened because this giant is coming out there every day, two times a day, when they should be praying, when they should be worshiping their God, and he's distracting them. So they're not spending any time with God. So first of all, they don't have any faith or confidence in God because they've been so distracted. Come on. Is this not a picture a lot of times of our own life, of our own Christianity, of our own church culture sometime, that we become so distracted by our relationships, by our hobbies, by our gadgets, by our social media, by our TV shows, that we love God, but we don't know Him very well. And so when the enemy comes and we, it's time for us to fight, we don't have confidence in God to fight for us because we haven't spent time with Him. The Israelites are so distracted. The Israelites, they didn't need a great battle strategy to beat Goliath. 
They needed a man that knew God. The Israelites, they didn't need someone that was nine feet tall and weighed 300 pounds. They needed a boy that knew God. They needed somebody that knew God, right? The problem that Israel has is they're not seeing very deep at all. The problem that Israel has is not that there's a giant challenging them. The problem that they have is they have no relationship with God at this point. And so David, the shepherd boy, he could see a little bit deeper. He saw deeper than the king, deeper than the soldiers, deeper than the adults. We've got to see a little bit deeper. Amen? We've got to see deeper. So how do you see things deeper? And this takes me to, to my second point. You want to see things deeper? You need to know God a little bit better. Right? You want to see deeper? You need to know God a little bit better. Why was David able to see the problem? Because he knew God a little bit better than everybody else. See, while David was in those shepherd fields for those 40 days, he wasn't distracted. They were distracted. He was still spending time with God. The Bible says that David was a man after what? God's own heart. God, he, David knew God. The Bible says that he was a worshiper, that he played music before God, that he loved God, that he prayed. David knew who God was, not just about him, not just stories. He was real to him. He was his protector. He was his comforter. He was there when the lion and the bear came against him. This was, this was his God. This was everything to him. God wasn't just a story or the man upstairs. In fact, this is why God selected David to be the next king of Israel. This happened a few years before this. God selected David to be the next king of Israel. Not because he was the oldest, because he wasn't. Not because he was the strongest, because he wasn't. Not because he was the most talented or the best looking, because he wasn't. He was selected because he had God's heart, because he knew God. You want to do something great for God? Know God. Throughout the Bible, the model is clear. If you want to do something amazing for God, you need to know Him. Why did God use Abraham? Because He knew Him a little bit better than everybody else. Why did God use Moses? Because He knew Him a little bit better than everybody else. Why did God use Paul? Because He knew Him a little bit better than everybody else. So when God wanted to build a nation, who did He call upon? Somebody that knew Him. When God wanted to use someone to deliver Israelites out of Egypt, who did he use? Somebody that knew him. And when God needed the next king of Israel and he needed somebody to cut the head off a big giant, who did he use? Somebody that knew him a little bit better than everybody else. Amen? And maybe the big things in our life, things that are hindering us and holding us down and messing us up aren't really the problem, but the problem is our relationship with God. Israel's problem is not a giant, it's relationship. They have neglected their relationship with God. You know, as I'm reading this, I, you know, why in the world did Israel think that I got to pick one person to go fight a giant? Does it say that in the book of war? No. Go take your whole dang army and kill Goliath and then go kill the rest of the Philistines. You don't have to take one person. They're so distracted. Who says you got to do that? So how do you know God a little bit better? Two main things. First of all, you spend time with him. There's no way of going around this. You can't cheat this relationship with God. We know God through prayer. We know God through reading His Word. We know God through worship. Amen? If we want to do something great for God, we need to know Him. The second thing is, you, if you want to know Him a little bit better, we got to get rid of distractions. Every one of us, we have things in our life. We have a busy schedule. We have things that are vying for our time. But we cannot allow priorities and things to overtake our relationship with God. We've got to spend time praying. If it's in the morning, you know you're going to have a busy day. You know what? Maybe we need to wake up 15 minutes early. 
Maybe we don't need to spend two hours on the computer or whatever. And I'm not saying the computer's bad or the TV's bad, but if it steals our relationship, then something's messed up. God is worth knowing. He's worth spending time with. I'm telling you, when I'm in right relationship with God, it just seems like my life is better. I have peace. I have joy. It seems like my relationships are better. I'm I'm easier to get along with when I'm spending time with God. I'm telling you, God wants us to know Him. It just seems like if we'll spend time with Him, things will be different. Everybody say, know Him better. Seriously, what a dying world needs is some Christians that know who God is. Because they've spent time with Him in the quiet place. They've spent time with Him when no one else was around. Coming to church services are amazing, but this is not the only time we spend with God. This is when we corporately worship God together as one. But that does not negate the fact we need to be worshiping by ourselves. Okay, so you know how this story progresses. David starts talking. He starts chirping a little bit. He's mad. He sees this giant. It doesn't matter if he's 13, 14 years old. He starts talking. People are like, dude, be quiet. You're not going to kill anybody. You don't even have a sword. All right? And word gets to Saul. You know the story. The word gets to Saul. And Saul's like, bring him to me. And I bet you Saul's excited for a few minutes. Somebody finally, after 40 days, wants to fight Goliath. Imagine when he sees them bring this little boy up there. He's probably like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But there was something about David that Saul was like, all right, go fight him. And I want us to understand this is big. This isn't just sending a little boy out there and if he dies, not a big deal. He's fighting for the nation. He's fighting for the nation against a professional soldier. This is a big deal. First Samuel verse 17 or chapter 17 verse 38. Look at this. I love this. Then Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. I love this part of the story probably more than anything else. Here David is about to go fight Goliath. Saul decided to let him go. So before he lets him go, he's like, you know what? I got a nice sword. You can use it, right? He was the king of Israel. I'm sure his sword was amazing. He said, you can put on my armor. I'm sure his armor was amazing. I'm sure it had like a big, you know what, lion on there with like a Nike check on it or something, you know? This is the best of the best. He's trying to help David out. You can't wear shepherd's clothes and go fight a giant. You need my armor. You know what would have really helped David out? If Saul would have put his own stuff on and went and fought the giant by himself. You're the king. You go fight him. You go fight him. That's your sword. You go fight him. He was scared. He sent a boy to go fight a grown man. And this leads me to my final point. If you want to be a turnaround leader, if you want to do something great for God, don't run away from your battles. This battle was the king's. The king didn't want to fight, so God would use somebody that would. And he used a 13-year-old just to say, I can do whatever I want to do. Saul is afraid to fight Goliath, so he sends David to do it. You know, I find so many times in my life and our lives that it's so easy to run away from the battle. It's easy to run away from our problems. It's easy to run away from the things when the enemy comes against us. We all have issues and sin and things that we struggle with in our life, okay? Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's pride or lust. Maybe we have a problem gossiping or we struggle with depression or we have a low self-esteem or a bad self-image of ourselves. Maybe we're fighting with our family. Maybe we have, you know, a wayward son or daughter. Maybe you have an issue with your husband or wife. We all have these things in our life that kind of just come up. We live in a a chaotic world. 
But a lot of times, instead of dealing with these things head on, instead of turning those things over to God and letting God fight our battles and God bring us peace and God restore our marriage and God give us joy, a lot of times we just try to avoid it. We just try to kick things under the rug. If I don't look at it, it'll just go away. And as we know, this doesn't work at all. Instead of praying to the great counselor, to the great physician, God, I can't do this, God, I'm struggling with this, God, my marriage, God, my kids. Instead of giving it to God, a lot of times we just, we don't. We run to a hobby. We run to a TV. We run to uh, just isolating ourselves. We run to drinking, whatever. We run away from the battle. God's calling us to fight, amen? And a lot of times I've found in my own life, if I don't fight battles, if I don't fight these things that come against me, they don't go away. They keep showing back up. And if you don't fight the battles, if you don't fight the thing head on, if you don't give it to God, that thing that you keep pushing off is going to keep coming back and it's going to end up destroying you. Pride will destroy your life if you don't destroy it. Lust will destroy your life if you don't destroy it. That jealousy will destroy your marriage if you don't destroy it, right? If there's a problem in your marriage, we don't just throw things away that are broke. We let God fix them. We let God restore we fight for things. If you've got a wayward son or daughter, it's just not what happens when they're that age. Get on your knees and pray. Stand in the gap, right? God's looking for some people that will fight. Say fight. God's looking for some leaders. Leaders don't run away from the battle. They fight. Instead of fighting our battles and seeking God, a lot of times it's easier just to live life with no peace or live life unrestored or live life unwhole. God wants us to give him the battle. Amen? Because our God's never lost a battle, right? Our God is victorious. Our God's never been scored on. we got to give it to Him. Deuteronomy one thirty, my last verse says, The Lord your God goes before you Himself and will fight for you. You know the rest of the story. David kills Goliath, and then after he kills Goliath, they wake up the army and they chase the Philistines away. He woke them up. And then David becomes the greatest king of Israel's history. And I want to encourage everyone in here this morning. God has so much in store for your life. You can be the leader that God has called you to be, right? But to do that, we need to see a little bit deeper. We need to know Him a little bit better. And we don't need to run away from our battles. Amen? Give it up for Jesus. Welcome, Miss Linnell. Man. Well, as Pastor Travis was preaching, I was reminded of the Scripture. They that know their God will be strong and do great exploits. No, in the Old Testament, no was a word that was used when a husband knew his wife. She conceived and bore a child. It's an intimacy with God. And we have to be intimate with God. Know him intimately. Know him face to face. That's what they said about Moses. Moses knew God face to face. And when we do that, then we can be strong and do great exploits. We can be a turnaround leader. Well, I wanted to talk to you about the tale of two cities. I'm going to talk to you about two towns in the Old Testament. Two towns that had war waged against them. Two nations that were affected in battle. Both were unprepared. Both of these nations did not have weapons. There were no warriors in the nation. But one nation had a turnaround leader. One nation had someone that said, I am not going to let the enemy defeat my land. I'm not going to let the enemy steal from my family any longer. But the other nation, there wasn't a turnaround leader. 
That nation was destroyed, was annihilated. Their homes were burned. Their children were murdered. And that nation was no more. Let's turn in our Bibles to Judges chapter 5. This is the first nation. Judges 5, 7. It says, village life in Israel ceased. It ceased until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. Another translation says there were no more warriors in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Let me describe what it was like in Deborah's day. The nation of Israel was afraid. An enemy had come against them because of their sin. And they were being judged by this enemy. The enemy was stealing their crops. It was stealing their flocks and their herds. Their children were being misused and beaten and abused. The streets were not safe so the kids couldn't go outside to play. They were hiding in their homes. It says they were hiding in caves. It says in the Bible in Judges 4 and 5 that there were no weapons found in Israel. Somehow all of their swords, all of their spears, all of their bows and arrows had been taken away. And there was no way to fight the enemy. And so the warriors were hiding. They were staying back. And one day it says that Deborah looked out at her people and she said, this is enough. She got mad. She got angry. And she says, they are misusing and abusing my people. I am going to rise up. If you read later in the, in the chapter 5 of Judges, it says, Awake! Five times. Awake! Awake! Awake, Deborah! Wake up, Deborah! It took Deborah a while to wake up. But when she woke up, she called. And let's, let's go ahead and let's read Judges 4, verse 6 through 8. One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam. She woke up. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors. And God says, I will call out Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon Valley, River. There I will give you victory over him. And listen to what Barak said. I will go, but only if you go with me. Deborah says, I'm so mad. I'm not going to take it anymore. We're going to call the warriors up. We're going to call together those that are willing to fight for our nation. And we're going to go to battle. And Deborah said, okay, Barack, I'll go with you. Listen to verse 14. Then Deborah said to him, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory. For the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. And when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot, escaped on foot, but then Barak chased the chariots, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. There was a day. When Deborah looked out at her nation, she looked out at her children that were being robbed from, that were not being able to have a life that she wanted to give them, and she said, no more, no more. And she went, and she told Barak, rise up. She called the warriors, rise up, because we've got to fight for our nation. We have to fight for our children. We have to get our weapons back and destroy the enemy in our land. And it says that the enemy was defeated and that they had peace because there was a Deborah. You know, in nature, one of the fiercest creatures is a mama bear. 
You mess with her young, and you got trouble. I'm calling to all the mama bears out there. Are you going to let the enemy? The enemy is not flesh and blood. The enemy is not a person. The enemy is the one that's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Are you going to let the enemy mess with your young? Are you going to let the enemy steal from your young their future, their purpose, their call, their destiny? It's time for the Deborahs to rise up. But can I tell you what, men? You can be a Deborah. This is not a male-female thing. It's just someone that will rally the troops, that will say, prayer warriors, let's get together. We need to pray. We need to fight. We're going to look at another nation. Laish. Judges 18. This is a nation that thought they were secure. They thought they had a carefree life. Things were going pretty good. Does that sound like maybe some of us out there? You know, my life's pretty good. My, my marriage is doing good. My kids are okay. And we financially, we can pay the bills. You know, things are going pretty good. But this was a nation that didn't realize there was an enemy out there. That was spying in on them. That was looking through the window saying, they don't have any weapons. They've laid their weapons down. They don't have anyone on the wall looking for the enemy. We can attack them. We can steal from them. I'm going to skip down to a verse. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you put your weapons down, if you lay them down and think it's a peaceful time, it's okay, things are going well, the enemy is looking. The enemy is watching, and he wants to come in and destroy your home. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy this nation. If you let him, if I let him, let's read this story about Laish. Judges 18, 7. There were five men that went to the town of Laish where they noticed the people living carefree lives. They were peaceful, peaceful. They were secure. The people were also wealthy because their land was very fertile. And they lived a great distance from Sidon and they had no allies. How do you say that? Say that? What do you say? Say, no, 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 Alice. He, he says something like, say that with me or repeat that or something. I don't know. I was going to say that. Anyway, so say no, Alice. Allies, sorry. Um, <laughs> the men replied, sorry, I got distracted. The men replied, come on, let's attack them. We have seen the land and it is very good. What are you waiting for? Don't hesitate. Let's go down, take possession of it. When you get there, you will find the people living carefree lives. Say carefree lives. That's how Travis says it. The men of Dan came to the town of Laish, whose people were peaceful and secure. They attacked with swords, burned the town to the ground. There was no one to rescue the people, for they lived a great distance from Sidon and had... What does that mean? These were people that thought they had it made. They didn't need anyone else. They didn't need a church family that would stand with them when trouble came. They didn't need friends that would pray for them when the enemy would attack them. They didn't need anyone else. They had it made. 
They were secure. They were happy. They were prosperous. But there was an enemy. And this enemy came against them, saw that they didn't have any weapons, saw that they didn't have any allies, saw that they were isolated, and saw that their land was good and wanted it. There's an enemy that wants our kids. There's an enemy that wants this generation of young people. There's an enemy that sees that what we have is good. And if we put our weapons down and if we don't fight for them, the enemy will win and will steal our families. It will steal our nation, will steal our businesses, will steal our children and our schools. And we have a choice. Are we going to take up our weapons and are we going to fight? Are we going to be a turnaround leader and rescue this generation? Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We don't have an enemy that has swords and spears like they did in the Bible days. But we have an enemy that is an evil ruler and authorities of the unseen world. These are not people. These are demonic powers against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Ephesians six seventeen says, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Now, here's your weapons. God's word is an indispensable weapon in the same way prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard. Pray long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. We have two weapons. Our first weapon is the word of God, which is called the sword of the spirit. Now, I want to just to mention this to you. I have this prayer booklet and it's full of scriptures that you can pray over your family over your marriage, over your business, over our nation, over your, the, your peace of mind, over your thought life, over issues that you need to, to get victory in. It's the sword of the spirit. For instance, if my people, Lord, I'm your people, I am called by your name and I will humble myself and pray. I will seek your face, turn from my wicked way. Then I will hear from you will hear from heaven. You will forgive our sin and you will hear our heal our land. That's the sword of the spirit. That is the word of God. That is a weapon you can use to destroy the plan of the enemy. Another one is, Lord, I pray that you would raise up men and women who will make a wall and stand in the gap before you on behalf of our nation that you would not destroy it. You can pray scriptures over your family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can pray. Your word says that if I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that I and my whole household will be saved. That's the sword of the spirit. That is your weapon that you can fight the attack of the enemy. But can I tell you what? If you don't ever use that sword, you won't know how to use it in battle. Pastor Travis said that. You won't know how to fight. Your second is prayer. Prayer. The problem is that we're like the town of Laish. We think things are going pretty good. It's kind of peaceful right now. We feel pretty secure. And you know what happens? We lay down that weapon of prayer. We let it go idle. It gets dull from not being used. You know, we use prayer a lot when we're in trouble. 
But what we don't know is that trouble could come at any time and we need to keep our weapons sharp. We need to be in that place of prayer so that when the enemy comes, we can destroy him quickly before he destroys us. I want to encourage you today. There were two nations, two cities, one that had a turnaround leader and one that didn't. One that won the victory and the battle and saved their land for their children. And one that their children were destroyed. My question for you today is, will you be that turnaround leader? Will you choose to take up your weapons? The weapon of the sword of the spirit. The weapon of prayer. And if you, will you stand in the gap for your nation? Will you stand in the gap for your family? Will you young people stand in the gap for your schools? Will you stand in the gap for your neighborhood and pray and pray and fight and speak the prophetic word of the Lord over your area, over your family, over your children? And will you be that turnaround leader that will see your land once again at peace, running hard after God, loving God, your children fulfilling the call and plan of God on their life? I want to pray for you this morning. Why don't you bow your heads? Lord, I just pray for each man, each woman, each teenager, young adult that's here today. And I pray, God, that we would present ourselves to you as Deborah did. That you would wake us up this morning. That you would stir our hearts. And that we would realize that it's time that we rise up and say, no more. I'm not going to take it anymore. The enemy is not going to have my family. The enemy is not going to have my friends. The enemy is not going to have my school. The enemy is not going to have our nation. But we're going to rise up and take a stand for righteousness, for holiness. We're going to see this generation of young people serving you, loving you, living for you. God, I pray that the Deborahs here in this church would rise up. Men and women that will call forth the warriors, call them to battle, and they will pray, and they will speak and prophesy the word of God, and that we will see chains broken off. We will see lives set free. We will see our children come back to you, Lord, loving you, serving you, living for you. We will see marriages healed and put back together. We will see this nation put back on the right track. We will see our culture, the people around us, once again acknowledging that you are Lord of Lords and King of all kings. Lord, I pray that we would wake up and that we would rise up. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Just kind of stay in this atmosphere right now. It's great words. But I want you to respond to the Lord as you feel like you need to. And let the Lord just kind of agree with Him and what He's trying to do in your heart and just kind of lay down that pride and yield to Him. How many feel like they need to know God a little better in this place? Just hold up your hand to the Lord. How many feel like maybe you've laid down your sword and you need to pick it back up? Or maybe you need woken up. You're just a little complacent. Just kind of wave at the Lord and say, Hey, I'm a little complacent. I'm just a little comfortable. And, and uh, you know, I just need stirred a little bit. 
But the most important question I'm going to ask is, are you 100% sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Because before you can be a turnaround leader, you just need to turn around. I found out, you know, I went to church, kind of going, but I was with the crowd. The Bible says the road is wide that leads to destruction. I would just, there was a, the ability to be a leader in me, but I found myself following all the time. I just say, yeah, I'll do that. I'll follow you. I'll do this. And, and then it wasn't until April 14th, 1984, that somebody asked me a simple question. If you die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And I didn't have an answer. And then he did just something simple. He just drew a circle on his chest. And he said, you know what I call that? I call that a God hole. You can try putting whatever you want in there. It'll never satisfy you. You can probably put drugs in there, sports, money, girls, whatever. It'll never satisfy you. The only thing that will satisfy is your relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I just began to feel that day like, okay, I'm reaching my dreams. I'm playing pro football. I got a nice girl. I got a nice car. I ought to really be happy. Kind of like that one city. I'm kind of secure. But deep down inside, I really wasn't. And I realized, man, today's the day I need to wake up. Today's that God was knocking at my heart. But the way I responded to invite Him in is I raised my hand that day. And I said, say a prayer for me. I want to ask Christ into my life. And I'm giving you this invitation, an invitation to invite Christ into your life. I'm not inviting you to, uh, to I'm not offering you religion. Religion is man's best effort to reach God. What I'm offering you is a relationship like Pastor Travis talked about. Like, like David had a relationship. He walked and talked with God. That's what we're offering you. And I'm offering you that because that price was paid on the cross. Jesus died so we could have relationship. It's all about relationship. Religion is spelled D-O. You have to do. Relationship was spelled D-O-N-E. It was done at the cross. So you can have that relationship. So I'm going to count to three. If you need to get things right with God, or if you just need to start a relationship, or you've gotten off track, and you want today to be a fresh start, on the count of three, you hold your hand up. We're going to pray for you. One, two, three. See your hand, your hand, your hand, your hand, your hand. Yours. See yours, yours, anybody else? See yours way back there and yours. Over there, some hands right here and here. I'm telling you, God's doing something today. I see your hands right there. God bless you. Amen. Anybody else? You just need to get right with God. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. Is Pastor Joe around? Or Pastor Travis? If not, just I want you over at that cross. On a count of three, everybody that raised your hand, just head toward that cross. And you're telling God, I surrender. Just give him a hand right now. Just head toward the cross. All of you that raised your hand, I'm telling you, you take a step for God, he'll step down for you. I know some of you, time, some of you, this is not the first time and you're kind of rededicating, but some of you, and I want some Christians, some altar workers to get around there and help them. I'm telling you, proud of you guys. Proud of you guys. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Thank you. Now I want some people that know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus to come around here and help. So everybody has somebody to pray with. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all say this prayer together, the whole church. Everybody at the altar, just repeat this prayer after me. It's just a prayer that you're saying out of the uh, goodness of your heart and asking Christ to come in your life. Just repeat this. Say, Lord Jesus, 
I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I invite you. I give you permission to come into my life. Change me. Help me. I'm willing to turn around, but I need your help. And I want to thank you today. I'm laying my old life at this cross. And I have a new life right now through Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I want to encourage everybody, too. They're going to give you some information, but this is the start of your relationship, start of your journey. Man, I first thing you can do to say, I follow you, Lord, is get in those baptism water. And I just call the church. There's information in there. You can set up a time if you want to be baptized. But basically, just get in your word and start talking to God. Now, I want to get make sure our altar team is around there. But if anybody else needs prayer, any of our other altar team uh, small group leaders, come stand here. And if anybody needs prayer, but you know what? God does know your need. But you might just need to come up to the altar, even if there's nobody here, and say, God, I need freedom. I need some change to break in my life. Because there's freedom available before you leave here today. So let's sing one time. The altars are open if you want to just come and agree with somebody for anything today. Sick in your body, you want prayer for anything? Break every chain, break every chain, break every...